funny? It's not my fault, okay? All right, all right. Well, here, we're going to go ahead and get started. So thanks for the clock. Thanks for everything that you guys are doing back there. Thank you guys for just being so incredible. I just want to say welcome. Welcome back. I hope you had a great, you know, holiday. I hope you got to spend time with friends. I hope you did all kinds of things that refreshed you and got you going. I know Babette and her husband and I think kids too were over in Hawaii, so you guys get the prize for probably the best one. But nonetheless, the bottom line is, I hope you had an incredibly good holiday, and now we're back. And as we're back, what we're going to do is, we're really going to be digging in in a very cool way today, in, in a very deep way, and so on. And, and what, what we're going to be doing is, is we're going to springboard off of this idea that at the beginning of the year, what people do is create a New Year's resolution. Now, I'm not somebody who actually does that. I, I've never done a New Year's resolution that I know of in my life. Okay? I just don't do them. And many people just don't, right? But many people do. But so that we all get on the same page, let me do it this way. Is there anything in your life which you would like to see changed this year? Right? Can you raise your hands? I really hope that every hand in this place is going up. Right? You know what I mean? There's just all kinds of things, right? There's, there's always going to be something. When I say, do you want something changed, there's a lot of people in here you know, as soon as I say that, they go, well, duh, <laughs> you know, you know, what, uh, you know, do you want me to start at the first level, the second level, or the third level, you know, right? There's just a bunch of things. There are, and we always want to remember this, there are, though, a bunch of people, particularly in a high-achieving uh, place like Bellevue and so on, there are a lot of people who pretty much kind of have life wired in a way, and they're saying, of course I'm not perfect, nobody, you know, nobody sitting in here thinks that, I hope. Okay, if you do, move aside from them a little bit just so that when God corrects them, it doesn't spill onto you too. But, you know, but, but the idea is, is we all know that there's something wrong, but when we talk about it as, you know, really needing to get something changed, there's a lot of people that just kind of go, you know, my life is pretty good. And, and I want to say praise God for you in that. And at the same time, if you were to look back at the New Testament and you were to look at somebody who had it wired, right, somebody who had the Christian walk down and was doing it right, who would you say was that person? Paul. I think there's two that you could name, John or Paul. Right? That's pretty much the, the biggies in this particular area, right? Peter doesn't quite get there because of him being Peter, which is to say we're all Peter, right? But the bottom line is you go to Paul, and, and I need us to do something. Here's Paul having got it kind of wired. And by the way, if we can convince everybody that we need a drastic thing for God to do a drastic thing to us, even at this level, then those of us who already know we need drastic things, this is going to be an easy sermon for us, right? So the point that I'm going after is this harder one. And what I want to do is I want to say, here's Paul, and I want you to hear Paul, the dialed-in Christian of all time, telling you what his life is like. Okay, this is him opening up his soul. He's in his threefold now. He's with people that he's comfortable with, and he's telling them, what he's experiencing in his life. And here's what he has to say about it. I don't really understand myself. For what I want, for I want to do what is right. There is a, I want to do the right thing, see? But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Okay, I just want to pause for a second on this. I do what I hate. See, there's a lot of people in here, you know, don't raise your hands, okay, <laughs> just because. But if I said, is there something in your life that you hate that you do, and there's a lot of hands that would go up. 
But I, every hand ought to go up. Because what I want you to understand is, is this is Paul saying, as I allowed God to speak to me, not just about the obvious things, you know, porn or being really rotten to people or being just a terrible human being. There's also, John Woodbury last week in a great sermon, talked about fear being not trusting God. I would say that there's a thing of faith in a lot of people's lives. Do you really trust God or do you trust your abilities? And if you really let God talk to you about it, if you really let him penetrate the deepest parts of your heart, you would begin to see it like he sees it and you begin to realize how much your own capabilities are getting in the way of what God is trying to produce in you. See it? Now that's a big deal, right? And you would get to where you would hate how I rely on myself because after all, it works. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's got me the house. It's got me the job. It's got me the reputation. It's done a good thing. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm just saying if we'll really let the Lord do the kind of surgery that only he can do, we're going to find that in all of us is these places where we're just kind of going, huh. And the reason why I say that is because I got Paul on my side. <laughs> okay? It's not just me saying it. If I know that what I am doing is wrong... This shows that I agree that the law is good. He's saying there is this standard that God has put out there. There is these things that God said, and I recognize that those things are truly good. And in recognizing that, something interesting happens. It turns out I'm not the one doing wrong. Well, that's just the dumbest thing ever, isn't it? I mean, seriously, if you did something wrong, you did something wrong. And you can say, well, I didn't really want to do it, but who cares? You still did it, and there was part of you that did want to do it. So there's something wrong, right? And you did something wrong, and own it. Own it. Except here's what Paul's doing. I, I, just, just watch this so that you'll really get where we're going here. I became a Christian longer ago than I care to remember. No, that's not true, because it's been a great life with him. Long time ago. And for seven years, I walked with him. And during that seven years things of sin that were before my life with him, because my, I, I went from not God to God, right, at 19 years old. So there was not God, and there was God. And, and over the seven years, of the first seven years of my Christian walk, there were things that slipped back into my life that I knew better. I knew they shouldn't be there. I knew that, and I hated them. And then one day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you something? Coolest thing happened. This is really true now. I'm telling you the absolute truth. 80% of those things that had crept back in were just gone. The minute I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, they just went away. It was like awesome. I mean, who doesn't want to get delivered from that thing, right? Whatever that thing is, whatever this problem is, whatever this thing that you hate is, wouldn't you love to just really seriously, one moment it is gone, and 30 plus years later you could say that it has never been an issue in your life ever since? Right? Don't you want that? Right? Hallelujah. Praise God for the deliverance that he does. But don't forget to praise him that he actually knows you well enough to not deliver you from everything. Now you can't say that because it's bad theology. But it's also true. Because the fact of the matter is, is that I've learned something from the things that he did not deliver me from that are incredibly important for me to have learned. And it wasn't just me, it was Paul. Right here, when Paul is talking about what it is to be a new creation, that is not something that is obvious. Paul, who wrestled 
with there being these two natures, with there being this struggle inside, with there being this thing that is going on. Paul wrestling with this is the one that started to go, oh my gosh, there is a totally new me. There really is a new me. There's a new creation, and he can say something that is completely meaningless, except that it's absolutely true, which is to say, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Right? I mean, Flip Wilson and Dana Carvey and all these people make fun of this, right? The devil made me do it. You know what I mean? And they make fun of it. And the problem is, it's pretty good theology. Or at least there's something to the theology that's important for us to be getting down deep in our hearts if we want to get free, as Paul is going to tell us how to do today. Because here's what he says, I'm not the one doing wrong, it's sin living in me that does it, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Let me tell you clearly what this does not say. I wanted to do what was right before I got saved, and then after I got saved, I never wanted to do that again. See, it doesn't say that, does it? What it says is not only did I not want to do it again, but I can't stop doing it. Now, this is not an excuse for sin. You're going to hear this, but let me say it right now. Paul is talking about victory here. True victory, Christ-like victory, Jesus who died, who came to earth to live like us and show us how to live a life that was truly sinless. That's God's goal. That's what he wants, right? So that's where he's going. So this is not an excuse for sin. This is not, a, well, I can't do anything about it. So, right, this is what Paul got accused of in Romans, right? Well, then we should just go ahead and sin since we can't do anything about it. Of course not. <laughs> There's a journey in here. There's a struggle. There's a thing that God is doing, and let's engage that. So what he says is, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, paraphrasing, there's this new me. I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. <laughs> I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. Remember that word power because he's about to start talking about another power, and you want to see that in his own mind, he's connecting power to power. A power that is causing you to do the wrong thing and a power that's causing you to do the right thing. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is, read it, still within me. Can I make it clear? This is our AA moment. Okay? Hi, my name is Kurt, and I'm an alcoholic. Right? Hi, my name is Kurt, and I'm a sinner. And thank you for the hi, Kurt. <laughs> you see it? Look, oh, what a miserable person I am. <laughs> this is Paul was a Christian saying this. Well, we're supposed to have joy. We're supposed to have victory. Well, we are supposed to, and he's going to talk about how to do that. But do understand, he's describing to you the nature of the battle that is going on inside, because after all, we're here in the confines of our threefold where this is safe for us to talk about, right? Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Now, that's a rather lengthy introduction, and, it, and we're going to do a lengthy section of Scripture today, and the reason why is because this is probably, I think, very arguably, and you, you could disagree, but there's only going to be two or three other choices. 
This is arguably the most important single piece of scripture for a person to learn how to walk with Christ that we're going to look at in total today. And we're going to look at it by taking some big chunks and so on. But I want you to really own what Paul says because here's what he's saying. That thing that has you enslaved in your flesh, you can get victory over. It doesn't mean you're not still a sinner. It's just that you don't have to give in to it. In other words, this thing that you want changed in your life, you can actually get real victory over it. For reals. Anybody want that? Sound good? All right. So our prayer is perfect. John Iwasaki. Uh, John, I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, John, would you lift up the sermon? Would you lift up another church too? And just, uh, there you are. Thank you. Okay. Oh, by the way, Jesse got married yesterday, and so he's off on his honeymoon and that kind of stuff. So thank you for VJ for what he's been doing to do all this, and it's cool. So go ahead, John. Lord, we, we welcome this new year, and we uh, pray that we will finish this year in a, in a deeper, stronger, more powerful place with you than we are today. And to get that started, we, we lift up uh, this sermon that Kurt has that you place on Kurt's heart that uh, as, as we sang in one of our songs this morning, um, I'm living in victory. Amen. And I just pray, Lord, that you will show us through your word, um, through Paul, how, we're, how we can do that. Amen. Lord, we also pray this morning for uh, Eastside Foursquare. Amen. I pray that they get, off, they get this year off to a great start there with um, your people worshiping and learning about you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. This is a very, very hopeful sermon. I realize that it's some heavy lifting, but again, I, I, by the time we get done with the way that Paul talks about this and the way that God is trying to tell it to us, I think you're going to be overjoyed, okay? Because there's hope. More than just hope, there's a plan, there's a way, a practical way. So understand something. When Paul works it up to this place, oh, miserable man that I am, and so on, the nice thing about Paul and his preaching is he wouldn't end the sermon there, <laughs> right? He would never end the sermon there. He's building up to a point that's real and that we can relate to and that's important for us to acknowledge in our lives. But he doesn't thankfully end there because where he ends is, is he's going to now head into the answer. And so he says, oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And does everybody, if you do not understand this yet, I love you, pay close attention because there's an answer in Christ for you that, you, that is going to blow your world away, that's going to change you utterly and completely. Okay, and for those of us who do know Christ, can I say this? Would you please recognize that your answer is in Christ? Always in Christ. Find it somewhere else and you will find something that's not true and will not last. Okay? And you will have a lot of success in it, and then you will have failure. And when you have the failure, it'll be really bad. Okay? So I'm just telling you, our hope is in Christ. Right? Now, as he does this, though, he does a really interesting thing here, Paul does. Watch this. Look, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Again, my name is Kurt, and I am a sinner. You cannot start anywhere else. You cannot start, my name is Kurt, and I was a sinner. That is to deny what's happening to your harm. Because you think you're past something, 
and it'll sneak up and get you, and then it'll be not good, right? So my name is Kurt, and I am a sinner, and we need to remember that at all times, even though we need to remember something else. My name is Kurt, and I have been saved, set free. I have been given the way, the keys to the kingdom to get over. That's what we're going to be looking at. And when he does this, Paul has kind of two things that he has to do at once in order to succeed at teaching us how to get victory. And the first one goes like this. You've got to understand what sin is in God's mind in the big picture, the eternal picture. You've got to understand Jesus Christ's answer, the cross. You've got to understand that all the sins that you ever committed go to the cross with Christ. But it doesn't end there. All the sins that you will commit after you come to Christ also were contemplated, were understood, and were put on that cross in the moment that Jesus was on that cross. See that? You hadn't even born yet. And yet God knew every single sin and every single one of them goes on the cross. Do you see it? And Paul has got to get that through to us because he's got to make us understand not just that we're sinners, but that there has been a total erasure of this problem in what he did. My actions separated me from God. I tried every way I could to get back to him and nothing worked. So God came and took the consequences of my decisions upon himself and in so doing, I am now holy. Not just a sinner, I'm also holy. God is three and God is one. You can't be both. Yes, you can. You can be a sinner and holy. Because you are. That's what the word says. You've got to remember them both. You've got to hold them both. Right? Now, so you see, he's doing one thing that has to do with salvation in the big picture. But really, we're going to see a lot of things in here that are like this. But Paul's orientation to what he's talking about is, he's just told you that he's got this big struggle in his life. And now what he's going to do is, he's going to walk you through how to get victory over it. And every once in a while, he's going to have to call out that bigger picture. But he's always going to then be keeping it in the reference of, how do you actually get victory in a practical way? This is not just Christianese we're saying here. Okay, this is real advice. This is Paul telling us how to do this. So, so you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now, now, now this is big picture comment right here, okay? So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those, those are the climactic words of, of all of Romans. Those are the climactic words that ought to be in your life. This is what it means to be saved. There's no condemnation. It has been paid for. He'll go and explain what all of that means, but bottom line, hold on to this, hold on to it. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. You've got to get that in your mind if you're ever going to get victory. There's no condemnation. It's already been paid for. Don't be thinking that God, because of the sin you committed last night, is somehow waiting to smack you down. Because <laughs> he isn't. He paid for it on the cross. Somebody already got smacked down for it if you want to put it that way. I think there's a much more elegant, loving way to put all of that, but if you want to put it that way, fine. Okay? The bottom line is we have to hold on to it. There's no condemnation. Because you belong to Him, 
The power, remember power? It was a power that keeps you in one place, but now there's another power showing up. The power of what? The life-giving spirit has freed you from this other power of sin that leads to death. But look at the way that he's phrased this now. There's a power in this life-giving spirit that frees you from the power of the sin that you're committing even. Not just the one that, keeps you, that leads you to death as in salvation that's been paid for. Watch this. The law of Moses was unable to save us. We were unable to do what was right in ourselves. That's what he's saying. Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? So God did what the law could not. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. See, to show us that it could be done, but also to take the sacrifice the penalty upon himself. And in that body, which body? Jesus' body. In that body, God declared an end, here's the part that we're doing today, to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Here's what's being said. You two, come on up here. There's a power, right? Sorry, your sin. Okay? Yeah, I made you God. I made you God last time, so you got to be sin this time. Okay? Okay? So, so there's a power that is in our life, right? That has got us still enslaved in our flesh to sin. Got it? Okay? Before there was God, there wasn't anything else. That's what it was. It's somebody who's sitting here and they don't know the Lord and they're saying to themselves, I don't know, I don't consider myself a sinner. Well, I, there's one really simple question. In every decision in your life, do you always choose what you know to be the right thing? Or every once in a while, just every once in a while, maybe just once or twice, you've decided to go ahead and do what you wanted to do, even knowing that it was wrong. And when you did that, what happened next? You kind of wanted to do it again. Right? And then he kind of wanted to do it again. And then he kind of wanted to do it again. And pretty soon you're sitting there going, how the heck did me, a good person, get into this state? What's going on here that I can't overcome this thing? Well, here's what's going on. This has power over you. And this is not in your life. So when you get saved, what happens? Holy Spirit, there's a new power in your life. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit has come in and done a new thing in me. He's made me a new creature. He's made me a new person. Do you see that? My nature, which was of the Adamic choose my own way, meaning the garden, you know, go do, God says don't do that, but yeah, it looks like it's good to do, so we're going to go do and do it anyway. That's the nature that I had in me because I figured it out better than God versus the nature that God is now bringing us, which is literally from him. We are born of God when we're born again. Okay. So being born of God, I now have this Holy Spirit who made me new, born me again, but who also resides in me. And the Holy Spirit like made everything, so how powerful is he? Pretty powerful, right? Thank you, sin and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Getting it? I know a lot of people get this, but just hang in there with me and watch what Paul does in these amazing words to come. He did this, now this is that sort of bigger concern of salvation. He did this 
so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. In other words, you made a decision. There's a consequence to be paid. It wasn't just ignored. It was paid. Who no longer follow, but look who is paid for. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Okay, I want to follow the Spirit. Do I always? Okay. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature. You see what he's talking about here? Do you see how much he's talking about this issue that all of us struggle with in our lives? Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about something else. Not the pleasure, not the desire, not the me. They think about him, the glory, the joy. The Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Look, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. You may think it did because you don't know God that well, but he's still in your conscience letting you know it's not working out. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. What does that mean just real simply? God has a glorious way for you to go and you've chosen to go some other way. And just as any parent would do to any child that was doing that, that is heartbreaking, right? You cannot, well, I'm doing something that's pretty good, God, and it's okay. And God is saying, oh, my God, if you only knew the glory that I had for you. If you would only. Do you see it? So what he says is, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And, and those of us who have had a little struggles in our life can kind of go, Meh. right? Okay? But remember this. See, this is this big point. Remember this. Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ in them don't belong to Him at all. Here's what he's trying to say. He's not saying, oh boy, you better never sin again. you got the Spirit of God. You're going to lose it if you do this. I'm bad. It's quite the opposite of that. You know what he's saying right here in these words? He's trying to say something. I get it. I know the struggle that you're in. And can I tell you something? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've been saved, don't worry about it. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Did you sin and did that somehow throw him out of your life forever? No, you've got the Holy Spirit. He made you new. He's there. Hang on to that. Do you hear the wording here? It's not a shaking finger in the face. It's a heart that is saying, come. See, I got something for you. I know it's hard. I'm telling you it's hard. <coughs> He'll tell us even more. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, which it does, that's the bondage that's still there, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. You've been made new, born of God's nature. You are in communion with Him. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as your God raised Christ from the dead, he gives life to your moral bodies by the same Spirit living within you, no matter what the choices that you made. Understanding repentance. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. There's the word. You're no longer under bondage to do what your sinful nature is still calling still urging you to do. See that? You do not have to respond to it. Look, 
If you live by the flesh dictates, you die. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now look where he goes. This is so beautiful how Paul thinks. He is so loved. Anybody that reads Paul and hears condemnation or judgment or anything like this just doesn't, isn't reading Paul right. Hear what Paul's saying. Here's what he's saying. Not only do you have the Spirit in you, not only have you been made new, but understand who you really are. You're his child. And when your child is having a problem, what do you do? <laughs> do you just, well, that's it. Done with them. <laughs> is that it? It isn't, is it? Now, there are some bad parents out there that have done that, right? And there's every parent that's had been tempted to do it, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that what we are, what is happening, what God is, the picture that he's trying to paint in his picture is, he loves us as his own children. And he's done everything for us. And the one thing he's continued to leave with us is free will. So he knows it's a battle. He knows it's a struggle. Engage the struggle. Engage the battle. And we'll get to how to do that in just one second. But let me just get there the way Paul does. You're all led by the Spirit of God. You're children of God. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That may, Oh my God, I sinned and now I've got to duck and cover and I've got to hide and I've got to... You see what I mean? You're not a fearful slave anymore. Instead, you've received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, that dear daddy term, right? For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. What does that mean? He lets you know that he still loves you if you'll let him. <laughs> if you want to get condemnation in your mind, then you'll think that he's mad at you. And then you distance yourself from him, and that is death. Try it. Leads to death every time. But if instead what you will do is, is even in the midst of failure, if you will allow his love, his heart, his presence, him to come and to speak to you, to speak to you, to hold you, you will come to know that he loves you. Since we are his children, we're his heirs, in fact. He doesn't just have, you know, it's not just you're, you're my children. I also have a big plan for you. I also have all these things that you're going to do, and I'm going to make sure they get done because I'm God, and I can make sure that they get done. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. No. God's glory is that heavenly, substantive thing that comes down and nobody can even stand to minister in its presence. That's God's glory. Right? And I'm not worthy of God's glory. He may love me. He may have some purpose for me and everything else. But I do not. I cannot. I am not able to connect, to become one with, to become part of his glory. And the, quite the opposite is true. What he's saying is, is literally this substantive weight of holiness is because you went on a journey with me and because I did all kinds of things inside of you and now you get to a place of glory and you, won't, you not only become part of his glory, you add to his glory. Do you see it? Look, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. 
Watch Paul's mind. Watch his thinking here. Watch what he's doing. He's saying, is it a struggle? You know, we read this verse all the time, and we talk about suffering, and here's what we mean by it. It means, you know, you're a missionary, and you get persecuted. It means, you know, you stood up at work for Christ, and somebody got, got after you. That's what suffering means. Can I say, that totally applies. It's totally fine. But do you understand that in the context of this chapter, do you understand the kind of suffering that he's actually talking about? He's talking about that the struggle against sin is a suffering. See it? Look, yet we, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be built to us later. He's saying, it's a real struggle now, but hang in there, because man, is there glory to come. <laughs> right? It's worth it. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, us, in glorious freedom from death and decay. God made a garden and there was no death in it, period. We fell and death introduced into the scene. The whole of creation was subjected to that dying and decay and volcano and floods and bad things and all this kind of stuff. And it is groaning, literally, earthquakes and groaning The creation is trying to get free of this. And what he's saying is, is so are we. Right? For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right at the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we can taste what the Holy Spirit does, the victories that he gets. And then, and when it's, we're not experiencing that, we're struggling, we're fighting, we're, you see what I'm saying? So he goes on, he says, a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. <laughs> See the suffering he's talking about? The battle. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he promised it. Get rid of this one that's so junked up, that is impossibly enslaved. We were given this hope when we were saved. And look, look just to bring it home, he says this. Look, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. If, in other words, if we've already been freed and there's no struggle with sin in our lives anymore, then don't hope for it. Just enter into it. See what I mean? But he's saying, no, you still live in your body, and it's a problem. I'm Kurt. Hello, my name is Kurt. I am a sinner. See it? We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Understand what the nature of this life is, of this walk is. Understand, it was so glorious to get delivered from 80% of the stuff that had beset me. And the other 20% has been the part of my walk that has made me understand who God is, who I am, how he works, able to give hope to other people, able to speak things, just like Paul's doing, just like all of us do, right? As God gets us victory, as he does these incredible things, we become blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. What's the good news? There's hope. <laughs> You're not a slave. <laughs> There's a new kind of victory. There's a new whole thing out there for you. <sighs> Look, uh, all right, now. Real quickly, how do I get there? 
do I just discipline myself? Right? That's what it sounds like, right? Just discipline myself. Because after all, even Paul says it this way. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined, right? In their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just, not just flailing about, shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training to do what it should. Is Paul saying that discipline is an important part of the victory over our walk? Is he saying that or not? Clearly, <laughs> this is not the only place. For those, for those who would like to say, well, somebody's naturally disciplined, or they learned how to become disciplined, but I'm just not disciplined, so I just have to give up. <coughs> no, that's not an option. He's saying engage the struggle. Become more disciplined. Get better at it. Work at it. But here's the problem. How do we work at it? Because here's what we learned last year. Now, this is brain, good brain research stuff, okay? If you go about trying to overcome a battle, if you struggle in the wrong way, you will actually end up reinforcing all the biochemical pathways of that struggle, and you will be more apt to lose. You may even get really far down the road. If you get really, if you're really disciplined and you do a really good job, and you really stay away from, stay away from, stay away from, stay away from, and you're really doing the right thing and everything else, and then all of a sudden when you fall, you're in much worse shape because you've totally strengthened all the biochemical pathways to the sin. So what Paul's actually doing is something quite different than what we think. When we say, how do I get victory? I just got to do it. I got to stand up and do it. And what Paul says to the contrary is he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit with grace, God having done this amazing thing, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Here's, a, here's, a, here's Paul, right? Who taught us about grace more than Paul? Because there isn't anybody. Paul taught us what grace is. Thank you very much. Paul taught us what grace is. Unmerited favor. God's doing. God moving. Paul taught us about grace. Listen to the king of grace tell you something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> Does that sound like Grace. That does not sound like grace to me. <laughs> that sounds like work. <laughs> that sounds like discipline. That sounds like work in my flesh and get to where I can get victory. That's what that sounds like to me. Doesn't it to you? What does he actually mean by it? For it is God who's working in you, enablingly both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Here, let me make it really clear to you guys again, okay? There's two ways. This way is sin, and this way is also connected to discipline. This is a good disciplined guy, right? You know what I mean? He's got his degrees. He's going out there. He's going to slay the world, right? Okay? So here we go, right? Now here is, what is this? What do we call this? Grace is a really good word for it, but uh, let's call it this. Let's call it God's way. Because, see, this is the way that I know. If I need to battle something, I need to buck up in myself and battle something and come to victory over it, right? That's what this is. And here's what Paul's telling us. Good luck in bondage will lose. And make it worse for yourself. 
there turns out to be an entirely different way to go about all of this. Remember who he was in the first illustration? The Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Not what you understand how to fix a problem, how to get disciplined, but what he understands. Now watch how this works. Go ahead. Thanks, guys. The Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Example. Now this is about tongues. I talk about this all the time and so on and so forth. But I want you to understand the context in which it comes. The context in which it comes is this context about suffering and struggling. And here's what he's saying. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Remember those groanings up before? You remember this thing of trying to get free and what do we do and how do we do this? Ah! Right? Okay? And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit actually knows how to set you free. He's already, you've already been set free in Christ, but now Christ is going to work that out in the particularities of your own particular life by leading you intimately, personally, fingerprintedly, in the way that is for you. Do you see it? Then let's do it, right? I, I, uh, ushers, thank you. Everybody needs something to write on. Okay? Everybody needs something to write with. And that means it's not couples. And trust me, please, I, I'm telling you if, you, if you're not the kind of person that wants to write these down, at least have a piece of paper in your hand so that when God says, oh, gee, maybe I should have written that down, you've got something to write it down with. Okay? So ushers, can you come forward and can you, can you pass out? VJ, they were aware, right? Yeah. So raise your hand if you need a, The pens are in front of you. Do you see them in the, in the chairs? Okay? All right. Raise your hand, and the ushers are coming. Could, could, could we get, uh, you know, a couple guys that, are, that know how to be helpful? Lance, it's a, you know, Lance is very helpful. But, but go ahead and help him, because there's several people. Rich, would you help too? Just grab some. And let's get more than just a couple of people and spreading this out so we can get it spread out quickly, okay? Rich, come forward and grab some of these pieces. Oh, we don't have enough bulletins? Well, that happens. Glad you're here, okay? All right, but you want a piece of, you don't have to have a bulletin at all. There's nothing on the bulletin that's important. It's just a piece of paper and pencil that you got to have. Piece of paper and pen. What's that? The bulletin is important. Yes, I'm sorry about saying it that way. Okay, it's not at this very moment. Can we get, again, I need to get somebody over here because we still got a lot of hands and we're, are we, are we having some problems? Yeah, just grab paper from the office. Just grab it from the copy machine. Okay, sorry, I'm sorry. I did put out a, a message, but it's okay. This just happens sometimes. Okay, right now, we're going to do a couple of things, and we're going to do it together, and you can do this part in your head. If you don't have a piece of paper yet, you'll need the piece of paper in about five minutes, and they'll have paper to you by that time. Okay? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to show us how to enter into His New Year resolution, a God Year resolution. Right? We're going to allow Him to show us how he would get victory over something. All right? So here we go. All right? This is what I want you to do. If you don't have something to write down with, thank you guys. Raise your hand again if you need paper. Okay? And if you need pens and so on, just keep your hands up and we'll make sure we get it to everybody. Okay? Now, I want you to write down, just, just take a minute, I want you to write down three or four top things that you want changed in your life. 
Just, you, I really am telling you, can I have a pen? I'm going to do this too. And you guys got to do it in the front row too. Everybody's got to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Okay, so write it down. Now, to show you, I'm going to use myself as an example as we're doing this. Write down your three or four, four or five, I don't care. When you get to 150, stop. Okay. All right, so here's what I just wrote down. I wrote down eating, reading, exercise, and personal holiness. Got it? Right? I need to quit eating like I do. Right? I need to exercise, clear. Right? I need to, I want to read more. I know that that's something God's been telling me to do, and I just haven't been able to find the way to get that done. And personal holiness. I hope I don't have to go into any detail on that. Okay? Got it? Do you got your three or four right there? Got them? All right. Now, last year what we did at the end of the year, or at the beginning of the year, remember, it, we did this first fruits, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the sermon, but we did first fruits, and what I had you do is I had you write down three things that you wanted to have changed this year. Do you remember that? Some of you do. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That was a mistake on my part. Why? Because it turns out the brain really can't do three things at once. I know that all women think they're multitasking to the point to where they can do at least four things at one time. But can I say something? Yes, you can. But if you want to reprogram your brain, if you want to change biochemical pathways, it turns out it takes enormous amounts of energy in the brain. And what that means is your brain does not have enough energy to do three or four things at once. To do three or four things is to do none. Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So here's what we're going to do. And this is as the Lord led me. Okay, I was praying about what to say to you guys today, and this is what I felt like he said. He said, write down the three or four things, Kurt. So I wrote, I didn't write them down, but I had them in my head. They came right there, you know, and I wrote them down, right? Eating, reading, exercise, personal holiness, right? So I wrote that down. It wasn't in that order, by the way, but bottom line, okay? Then what he did was he said, okay, now, which one's most important? So I want you to, I was led by the Spirit now. Because you watch where this is going to go. Okay? As led by the Spirit, I want you to cross out the things you wrote down until you have just one left. The most important one. Go ahead. Okay? Just start crossing them out. It should be fairly simple for you. Okay? I crossed out eating, reading, and exercise. Personal holiness is the one that when I think about this, I think that's the one that I would like to be done with, right? That's the one I'd like to get. If, I, if I'm going to get one thing this year, that seems like the right thing for me to get. Before the Lord, doesn't that sound pretty holy and pretty good? So do that, okay? Cross them out until you get one down. You have one left. Got it? Everybody done? We need to wait? Okay. Now it's going to get really interesting. Here's what happened when I did this exercise. I went home thinking, I got it, God. There's one thing you're telling me to work on. I got what it is. I'm going to work on this this year. I'm really excited about doing this and so on. I got home. I went out for my walk the next morning. God brought this back up to my heart. And he said, which one is the most important one? And I said, well, like it was yesterday. And he said, no, it's not. He said, I want you to pray. This is not something you're going to be able to do today. This is something we're going to pick up again next week. But I want you to do something. 
I want you to take this little list, this little piece of paper that you have, and I want you to write this down in some fashion so that you can get it. You don't have to copy my words, but copy the spirit of it and get it right. What I want you to do is I want you to take a few days to pray about this list with God and the Holy Spirit to see which one he's really leading you to do first. You see the difference? One of them is the one that just seemed right to me, despite the fact I thought I was in the Lord. Sure seemed good. Personal holiness, and that seemed good? And I go out there, and God tells me, to my great surprise, that's not the one that I'm telling you to do. So I started praying. What is the one? It was the last one on my list. Exercise. That was the one I'm like, well, that's kind of, you know, I know that in the natural, and I don't want to do it, and you know. And all that kind of stuff. But that was the one that I, I just sat there and I just, and the more I prayed about it, the more I went, oh, dang. There's value in this. He's telling me if I'll do something, it'll lead to other things. And he's taking care of more than just one problem at once by me focusing on the one problem that he wants me to focus on. Golf swing, right? 35 things wrong with my golf swing. Tell me all 35, I won't even be able to hit the ball. Tell me the one that I need to work on now because it's going to correct another 15 or 20 of them. Right? So I'm telling you, take this, do this, please. Do you want to have a better 2014 than you had a better 2013, no matter how good your 2013 was? Do you want to have, everybody should be able to say yes, no matter how good 2013 was, I would like to have a better 2014. I'm telling you, here's how to do it. Take a few days to pray about this list with God's Spirit to see which one he's leading you to do. And then do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what stopped you from doing this in the last year. It's not like it's a new thing to you. What has, not just the last year, what has stopped you from doing this in the past? You see what we're doing here? We're taking this from a me doing it in my own flesh and my own understanding and discipline. We're taking it to me truly being led by the Holy Spirit who's going to lead me on a journey to victory. And what happens when you take a little journey with the Holy Spirit and get victory? How do you feel about the Holy Spirit after that? What do you want to do next? Wow, you know, that's like a better way to go. I tried this other thing and it just beat the crap out of me for years. I tried this way and wow, look at what's happening. Do you see it? Now, I want you to do one more thing and please write this down so that you can do this during this week and we're coming back to it next week. Okay, what is the first thing you would have me do to start doing this right now? See, even then, I, it's pretty simple. I'm going to, you know, put on some pants, and I'm going to go down to the gym that I've got in the building where I live, and I'm going to work out on the elliptical, and I'm going to do some weights, and I'm going to work out, right? I know how to do that. I've done it for years, right? I know what to do. And if I do what I know what to do, what's going to happen? Right? It's a crazy person that keeps doing the same thing over and over thinking they're going to get a different result. I'm trying to find a new way to get into this. I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to show me a new way to get into this. Because I can tell you at one point in my life, God got me into exercise and for, until I got pneumonia about 12 years later, I did it every single day and loved it. Because he's the one that got me there. See it? It wasn't even a struggle. We're going to do something right now. And we're only going to take about eight minutes for this. But I want us to 
I want us to not only have this exercise in our hearts, do this. Again, we're going to revisit it next week. It's not going to be a whole sermon or anything, but we're very much going to come back to it. But here's what I'm asking you to do right now. I want to have, I want to get some testimonies from people so that we can be encouraged about how to get, that victory is possible and that we can get victory. And here's what I don't want. I don't want somebody who did something really wonderful and overcame something, and now you stand up and you tell everybody else how to do it. Why? Because that was what God did with you, and what we want to do is we want to hear what God did with you because maybe it's going to fit some people. One size does not fit all. John Woodbury last week. A formula is really good only if the Lord's the one that revealed it to you. Right? John, I love John Woodbury's. Remember this last week where he said, request denied. I've heard a whole bunch of people talk about this this week. Wow, that was a really good word, right? Request denied. When Satan's trying to say something, request denied. But here's the deal. That's just a formula until God makes it a real thing in your heart. I don't have a problem with formulas if they're coming from the Lord. Even then I have a little bit of a problem with them, but you know what I mean? You've got to keep it dynamic in the Holy Spirit. But you see what we're doing? So I want to have a couple of testimonies right now on people that wrestled with something. If you're just like a naturally disciplined person and you want to tell everybody just be naturally disciplined, thank you very much. I love you, but please don't. Okay? It just makes people who aren't feel bad. What we want is somebody to say, here's what I did to move into that category. Here's what I did to get victory on something. So go ahead. Who wants to say something first? We're not going to take too long on this because we've got one more thing we're going to do. Greg, you're up. I struggled with a long time with uh, moving back to Seattle from Bremerton and um, was very foot-dragging about it. And a series of circumstances happened that um, just woke me up one morning, uh, looked at a scripture, and the Lord said, open your heart. I want you to open your heart towards me about this. And I still said I didn't want to do it. And a few weeks later, I had a, <laughs> had a conversation with my three-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And it changed me to the point where when God put us in a place in Seattle, it was, it was literally to me incredible. And it was much easier. I thought, I'll never be able to fit back in Seattle again. I'll never be able to. I, I, I just fought it the whole way. And when we landed here, the peace of God and the lineup of God showing us where to walk and how to walk was incredible. And here I had drugged my feet and fought him for years about moving back here. Awesome. So I, I am awesome. so thankful for God's grace poured out in my life because I did not want to do it. So that's a great inspiring testimony about listen to the Holy Spirit. He's taking you to better places. Awesome, great. Does anybody have a testimony about something that they did to get victory that they could share with us? You don't have to get too personal. Oh, what the heck would you ever need victory over on, on anything? You're just perfect. So go ahead, Tam, you're up. Um, I don't know what to call the victory that needed to be over, but the idea of depression or fear or comparison, you can take any of those things, and you're told we well, you need to trust God more, or you need to stop worrying, all these things that are the good Christian things that you need to stop doing, and it didn't work. And what I found, and I've shared this before, is I went to the Psalms, and in the Psalms, um, David whined a lot <laughs> about all of his problems, and I didn't ever relate as he smote down his enemies and asked God to destroy all these people. I thought, what's he doing? And then I realized that my fear and my comparison and my depression, those were all my enemies, and I wasn't strong enough to fight them. 
But when I put those things in those scripture verses and said, God, you've got to fight it. God, you have to protect me. Be my defender. Then it wasn't me anymore. It was nothing I was doing. Something so much bigger than me came and took it over and fought it for me. That's not a formula, but it, it rewired those pathways Can that I you talked about. That's brilliant. That's exactly what we're talking about. And again, you see, try that, right? Try doing it in the Psalms and realizing and try that. If it works for you, great. If, if there's something else, you know. All right, go ahead. Anybody else? Who's got another one? I know there's several more. Oh, yeah. Courtney, I'm sorry. I couldn't see because of the lights. My apologies. So most of you know my glaring sin would be road rage. No secret here. <laughs> um, She's been biggest... behind me. I can testify to that. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the victory for me came when, because um, I did it in my flesh for years and years and years, and exactly what it, you know, I hate doing it, God, but I couldn't stop. Um, and finally, when God, one day God said, Courtney, do you love me? Well, of course, Lord. Well, what does traffic allow? What does being behind a slow person allow? More time alone with me. And I kept under the condemnation. That was my one huge glaring sin. And that's all I could focus. I would be consumed because I hated it so much. I still hate it. I'm not victorious. He is. Um, that's good, Courtney. What I get out of it today, instead of falling under the condemnation, is God's joy the moment I don't react in road rage. I hang on to his love. There are so many times I've given the opportunity to participate in the sin, and because of him, nothing of me, trust me, there's nothing good in me when it comes to road rage. You know, instead... Have you found... Have you found that you've been able to spend more time with him to where that Absolutely. is also important? Absolutely, I start talking to him. And don't say him. it if, if it's not true, because no. people need to know we're not making crud up. That's why we're having people Am talk to me. Am I perfect in it? No, I fail, okay. but not to the extent I used to. Okay. And there are so many times when I could feel it building up, and God just takes it away. That's just good. spend time with me. That's good. Who else? Yeah. Who else? Ah, Jenny, let's go ahead. I need a guy, Okay. All right? Not keeping score. Okay, we'll come to you. Okay, for me, um, it was fear, and it was going to Thailand. And I wanted to go to Thailand, but fear inside of me was saying, don't go. Steph Chin says, then you need to go. And it was like, Good for you, yeah, Steph. you're right. And so um, for me, stepping out and coming against that fear and it was awesome. We had an awesome time. And I asked God, what am I supposed to teach on over there? And it was the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Um, and I spoke in their little church service on the Holy Spirit. And God really showed up in incredible ways. Now, the other fear of it was the heat. And, yeah, I sweated like crazy. <laughs> it was really hot. And do I still have fear? I still have to fight fear. But... Um, but God's been leading me one step at a time, and Amen. I've been doing things that, you know, as I couldn't a good, do. As a good so. friend of yours, let me bear testimony to what you're saying. I have watched you fight fear for years. I've watched you be aware that fear was a real problem. Some of it's wise, 
You know what I mean? But that you recognize that there was a part of that that wasn't of God, and I have watched you fight it, and I have watched you over the years get more and more and more victory until you're doing things like Thailand and Israel and all kinds of things that otherwise you would have been not able to do and certainly not able to do them with peace and with joy and with richness in God. So, you know, hear the testimony from another's lips on it. Can I say one more thing? Sure. I went to Malibu and I did a high ropes course. I had a huge <laughs> fear of heights. And all the gals in my group said, you have to do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I really wanted to crawl off of that thing. And, but the whole time I was up there, I was telling fear in the name of Jesus to go. Amen. And I'm sure they thought I was really weird. But the gal behind me was not a Christian. And it built her faith enough that she says, if Jenny can do it, I can do it. <laughs> but that's when I went to yeah. Israel was after that. There's value. See, you learn how to overcome fear, and now you know how to overcome a whole lot of other things that are in your life because you've learned, wow, it's not just Christianese. We're gonna do, we can just do one more. So, Zach, you're up. Thank you for... So, mine, mine has to do with fear as well, and more, more specifically about finances. And there was a... I have a lot of mouths to feed, and so... <laughs> and um, there was a time that I, I really just lived in fear about provision. And um, a few years ago, I made some really solid decisions about what I was going to do with my money, which wasn't my money, it was God's money. And then I was going to faithfully just show up, and this isn't for Kurt, but this is, you know, I was going to tithe. I was actually going to, you know, do what, you know, the Bible, you know, <laughs> indicates would be a good idea for me. So I did that for a couple of years, and I still stressed out all the time, and God still provided every you know, I mean, my bills are all paid. I'm not behind on anything, and God has always, always shown up. But in the last year, um, I've stopped just stressing about, you know, when is it going to happen? When am I going to get the next job? Um, As in peace. Yeah, and, and it hasn't been perfect. Yeah, I, know. yeah, I mean, I've felt like, you know, God always shows up. Uh, one of the things that, that I know, um, you know, that the scripture has, has taught me is that God says, test me in this, you know. And it's the only place that I know of in, in the Bible where God says, test me in this. And so um, anytime I start to negotiate with myself about how much to give, I've told myself I have to round up now. So I try not to negotiate too hard. Because, you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, I mean, you know, am I giving, you know, the, my, my um, net income or my gross income? Well, if I start to negotiate, then, you know, I, so I, I know, you know, I want gross profits. And so that's, that's what I do. Yeah. And God has shown up. And um, so my finances have changed. And, you know. Zach, this was a really important thing for you to say because you guys don't know what the next couple of scriptures are up there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on because I'm going to come right back to where you were in just a moment. But it's actually after the sermon, and I just want you to do this now. Thank you guys for doing that. But I'm going to ask you to do something here. We've been looking at Romans 7.15, which is where he describes the problem, and then Romans 8, where he describes the solution. And I want you to hear how Paul ends his discussion of this struggle. Because this is what I want you to have ringing in your ears about where the end of this struggle is about what God's doing through it, about the preciousness of the things that God is doing by not always delivering us instantaneously, but taking us through a journey. 
because here is what Paul discovered. And I want you to close your eyes and listen to this. Let it wash over you, these words. And we know that God causes everything to work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Remember the context of this. We say that all the time, but remember the context of it. The context is, is that in the midst of this suffering that we're doing in this battle, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, us. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He just gave them the right standing with himself through Christ. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Wait a minute, we were just talking about sin and struggle and horrible things. But now look where Paul's gone to. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this journey, this battle? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. God himself, the only one who could have a claim against us, has given his son instead. Who then will condemn us? No one. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Anything you could do? Any failure? Any, anything? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened? Oh, this all happened to us because of our sin? No. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. But despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your people come before your throne and praise you and thank you and glorify your name and we rest in the truth. Spoken of by Zach at the end, but by all of them, we rest in the truth that we are your children, that we have been made new again, that we have been given the Holy Spirit, that you are working a process in us, that you who have begun this good work are faithful to complete it. And that in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, that you have complete victory. And so in Jesus' name, we now take this cup and reach down in front of you, and we take this bottom cup in which is this body broken, this body of life that I have done as I have walked away from you and separated myself in stupidity. In Jesus' name, we recognize that, and we take our finger and we crack that, saying that we recognize that we're the ones that broke it, but that you're the one that heals it. 
So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup and we say unto you, thank you, Jesus, on the cross, that by your stripes we were made whole, that we were healed. Take this cup together with me, would you please? And now in your magnificent name, Jesus, in your magnificent love, Father, in your glorious helps for us, Holy Spirit, we recognize that everything that ever needed to be done for us was done right there at that moment on the cross when that blood was shed. When that life was poured out, we were given new life. And all of it that we could ever use, that we could ever need, all of it that could ever be. So in Jesus' name, we lift this cup knowing that you have a new life for us and that all we need to do is enter into it. And so God, we who are fallible, we who do not always reach the mark, who do not always succeed, come before you and say, you do it. You help us. You show us. You lead us. You guide us. You hold us. You enter us into the fullness of your life. In Jesus' holy and precious name, take together, would you? And now, ushers, thank you for coming forward. And, and folks, remember, and this is coming off of what Zach said. I didn't set him up for this. But I want to read you a scripture that I wanted to read you as part of this, and here's why. You remember that last year we did first fruits. And just real quickly, here's what first fruits meant. It means that at the first of the month, at the first of your payroll period, tithe, give, keep God first. Right? And what we did is, is we wrote down and we said, do this Malachi verse, just exactly the one that he was doing. And look, it's in my passages here. Will a person, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contribution. That's tithe, the one-tenth, right? You are suffering under a curse. Why? Because you've not acknowledged where it came from. You haven't said thank you. You haven't acknowledged so that I knew that I could give you more, so that I knew that I could trust you with it, so that I knew you would do with it what I wanted. You haven't demonstrated that, and so now you're under a lesser because you haven't done the most simple thing of all. I'm asking for 10% of what I gave. I'm not asking you for something you don't have. I'm asking you for 10% of what I gave, he says. And then he says, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. So bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way. And this was first fruits. And what I said was test him. And I said, write down three things that you want. Agree, commit to tithing this year. <laughs> write down three things. By the way, if anybody did this, would you please email me? Because I recognize that this is a multi-year thing that we're doing here. But the bottom line is, is he says, test me in this. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Well, here's the thing that we're really going to go after, and it's next week. This one thing. We're going to couple this one thing with this. And we're, going, we're not going to say, because I tithe, you're going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to say, I'm in. I'm in in every way. And this is the thing that you've led me to do. And I'm going to respond to you in this way and in all the ways that you would lead me. See it? So what we're saying is, is what he says is, is do this and watch what will happen. 
See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the work of your hands, your job, your, your income, as happens. People go, I don't have any money because it's all been gone. That's the devourer, okay? Can also be bad decisions, but he'll work that out too. Says the Lord of hosts. Then <coughs> see if you'll not you will produce fruit then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts I want us to be a church that keeps God first so that's what we're doing right here in this first fruit Sunday Lord in Jesus name your people come before you we come before you and what we say is you first we have put ourselves there. We put other things there. We've done a lot of other things. But this year, no. This year, you first. This thing that you're telling us to do, this tie that you've asked us to do, that you've commanded, in fact, we are coming to you and we are saying you first. Because we want to learn how to actually live in victory. We want to learn how to actually live in glory. We want to learn how to have those last words of Paul ringing from our lips. Oh my gosh, the things I discovered when I made God first. What can separate me from that love? 